Amen. Well, turn your Bibles with me tonight to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 uh, holds the, the great beloved salvation scripture in verse 16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting or eternal life. Everybody knows that scripture, or I say everybody, I mean that figuratively. I'm sure not everybody does know it, but you know what I mean by that. That's, uh, that's one of the favorites in, in all of Christendom. But um, I want you to notice the context that Jesus said these words, talking about salvation and, and eternal life. Starting in verse 1, John chapter 3, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now stop right there and think about what he's saying. He's saying we know God is with you because nobody can do miracles unless God is. And you wouldn't be able to do these miracles unless God was on your side. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I read that for years and thought that Jesus changed the subject. But that's impossible. Jesus is not changing the subject. What is the subject? The subject is, there's an implied question here. And that is, Nicodemus is asking, How is it that you're able to do these miracles? We know God is with you, but how is it that you're able to do these miracles? It has to be God. The source of the power has to be God because man doesn't have that power. But what is it about you that's special that enables you to perform these miracles that we've seen and heard? And Jesus responds by talking about the new birth. And notice why he talks about the new birth. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, one thing that the church world has, has failed to recognize is the connection that Jesus makes between miracles and the kingdom of God. Unless Jesus has changed the subject which I don't believe he has, unless he's changed the subject, then Jesus is still addressing his implied question. And that is about the miracles and God being with him. And Jesus says that these miracles are attached to the kingdom of God and the entrance into the kingdom of God and the miraculous is being born again. Now Nicodemus doesn't understand that. And so he said, verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Obviously, he's thinking naturally. He's thinking when Jesus talks about being born again, he's talking about a physical experience. And Jesus is not talking about a physical experience. And he explains it. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that means human birth, natural birth, and of the Spirit. So the experience he's talking about being born again is a spiritual experience, not a natural one. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, we might say except a man be born naturally and spiritually, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now remember the whole reason that Jesus is talking in this direction is because of Nicodemus's question or implied question. He really doesn't come out and ask it. But he says we know God's got to be with you because of the miracles that we've seen and heard. What's the deal? And Jesus is talking about how to enter into the realm of the miraculous is through the new birth. He's saying the kingdom of God is the kingdom of the miraculous. 
And the only way you can experience that, the only way you can enter into it, the only way you can know it, is through the new birth. So Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He explains further, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now keep in mind verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's saying there's a distinct difference in natural birth or the human experience of birth and the spiritual experience of being born again. He said there's a distinct difference. Well, what is that difference? He's going to explain. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it listeth. The word listeth means to choose or determine. In other words, he's saying the wind blows wherever it wants to. And you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, let me explain what this is talking about because this is the crux of the whole thing. And, uh, and, and I don't think many people in the church world think this through enough to realize or understand the character and the nature of God enough to, to realize what Jesus is saying. He's saying you can hear the wind. You can tell the wind is blowing by the leaves uh, blowing around or, or fluttering or whatever it is. You have evidence of the wind blowing. You can tell when it's blowing, but you can't see where it's coming from. You can't see where it's going. So he's saying simply this. He's saying you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. Now, why would Jesus talk about the the example, use the example of the wind, and our inability to see the wind blow? We can see the effects of it. We may even see dust flying in the air and know that the wind is blowing, but you never see the wind itself. Why would Jesus use that example and say, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit? Why would he say that? Because he's trying to make one simple point. And he's saying that which is born of the flesh is flesh or physical. And that which is born of the spirit is unseen. He's saying there are two realms. A seen realm and an unseen realm. A physical realm and a spiritual realm. Now let's keep reading. He's not through talking. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Please notice what Nicodemus is identifying. He's identifying that he's known, he knows nothing about anything other than what he can see and feel with his five physical senses. He's saying the only realm I know anything about is the physical one. The only realm I know anything about is the one I can contact with my body. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as a teacher of the Jews, this ought to be foundation. This ought to be ABCs for you. He's saying everybody should understand the basics of that which is related to and critical for the kingdom of God. And that is to understand the difference between the seen realm and the unseen realm. How much of the church world does? Doesn't look to me like it's much. Yet Jesus says that even an unsaved teacher of Israel should know that. He should have enough knowledge from the Old Testament, the teaching of the Old Testament, that he teaches in synagogue regularly, if not every time they come together. We don't know exactly what his position is or you know what place he holds in the synagogue, but we know that he's a teacher of the Jews. Jesus says so. And Jesus marvels and says, how can you be a teacher of the Jews and not understand this? 
Well, I think the same question could be turned around. How can we be born again and not understand the difference between the seen and the unseen, the physical and the spiritual? Then notice what else Jesus does. He says, Art thou a teacher of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that which we do know. He's saying, I te- I'm telling you about things that I know. And testify what, what I have seen. Now, he's talking, seen is not uh, speaking of the physical realm. He's talking about, I've seen the importance. And, and this goes back to Nicodemus' first statement. These miracles that you're doing have to be because God is on your side. But what's up with that? He's saying we testify that which we have seen and we've told you. We've spoken of those things that we do know. And you receive not our witness. In other words, he's saying, why won't you believe me about the unseen realm? And notice he calls the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God. Verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He's saying you ought to be able to get it by the illustration that he used about the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. And no man, verse 13, has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now this is going back to Nicodemus' first statement. We know that you're from God because of the miracles. He's saying nobody's ever been to heaven except the one that came down from there first. Even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now notice verse 14. Verse 14 is really the text that I want to use for this evening, but I want you to see the context of it. And that is, Jesus uses an Old Testament type. Now remember, uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which means he knows the Old Testament. He's a teacher of the Jews. The only thing he's got to teach is the Old Testament. So Jesus is going to use an Old Testament example that points to himself. This is not me making a, a connection This is not some preacher coming up with the idea that this is what this means or this is the interpretation of the Old Testament type or whatever. This is Jesus saying something that happened in the Old Testament points directly to me. He's trying to get Nicodemus to understand. So he's using terms that he should understand, which is the Old Testament. That's what Nicodemus is familiar with. So Jesus says in verse 14, And as Moses has lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever, uh, eternal or everlasting life. And then he goes to the great scripture, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Verse 14 is what I want you to see. Jesus says there's an Old Testament type that, should, that you should recognize points to me, and that's Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Turn back with me to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 tells us the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. First three verses tell us about a great victory that Israel experienced. God was on their side. They made a commitment to God to destroy the things of the, their enemies. And God delivered their enemies into their hands. Verse 4, we want to start reading. And it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass or encompass or encircle the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. You ever been discouraged because of your way? Things ever taken longer than you thought they would or didn't go the way you expected it to and so you got discouraged? Folks, I want you to understand something. It's the way the devil, it's, it's uh, the devil's attack against all of us to try to get us to take the same course of action that Israel took. 
The soul of the people was discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. Now the light bread he's talking about, or they're referring to is manna. They're saying we're sick of manna. We've had manna every day, seven days a week. We've run out of manna recipes. We're sick of manna. Verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, every time we come to an Old Testament scripture like this, we have to point out what Hebrew scholars tell us, and that is there are a lot of words, this one included, that are translated into the King James in a causative sense. What it means, what causative sense means is just like this. It says the Lord sent fiery serpents. But these Hebrew verbs don't have a corresponding verb in the English language. They're really in the permissive sense. Dr. Young, Dr. Robert Young, in his book that's now out of print, Hence to Bible Interpretation, but you can still find the same thing in the notes to his um, uh, concordance. An abbreviated version is in, the, uh, is in the notes to the concordance, so you can check it out for yourself. Check it out online or get a... Physical, physical copy. But Dr. Young, who was the foremost Hebrew scholar in his day, said that in the Hebrew language, there's a causative, I mean, there's a permissive sense or tense of a verb that the English does not have a corresponding verb. It would be better translated to say that the Lord allowed fiery serpents to come in among the people. But that's not a word for word translation like the King James attempts to be. And so they translated it into the causative sense when it should be in the permissive. But if you didn't even know that, I can prove it to you just by reading the rest of the story. It said, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the Lord, the people came to Moses and said, Look what God has done to us. Is that what they said? And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. In other words, the people realize what most of the church world never has, hopefully they will, but to this point, had never has gotten a hold of, and that is we are most often the cause of our own calamities. Now, what is... What do they identify as the problem? They identify the problem as we've spoken against Moses. We've sinned against God. That's why these things happen because we sinned. So what do they need? Well, they need two things. They need forgiveness for their sins and they need healing from the snake bites. They need two things. Now, remember, this is the story that Jesus said was a type of him. They didn't say, as so many Christians do, bless their darling hearts. Well, we don't understand why this happened. But we submit ourselves to the will of God. He must have a purpose in these snake bites. And Lord, just help us bear it until we give out at the end. That's not what they're after. They're after relief. They're after, after uh, healing. They want to get rid of this situation. They want it to change. And they wanted to change in a hurry. So what do they do? They say, we need to change. 
We need to change. Now, what is their sin? They identify it as having spoken against Moses. Folks, the Old Testament is full of scriptures, principles, where it is identified where, that God said over and over again, as you have spoken in my ear, so shall I do unto you. Over and over again, it tells us that man has been given authority on the earth. And the exercise of that authority is made through your words. Jesus said, by a man's words he shall be justified, and by his words he shall be condemned. Jesus furthermore said, you will have what you say, what you believe in your heart, and say with your mouth. Well, what did they believe? They believed this was a tough way to go. So what did they do? They spoke against God and against Moses. Now, how did they speak against God? Well, remember, the promised land is supposed to be theirs. But now they're in the wilderness. They've already rejected going into the promised land. They're in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But even at that, their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. And even at that, God provided for them by manna, giving them manna every day, every morning, except the Sabbath day. Let them store up double to cover the Sabbath day when it didn't show up. He's helping them defeat their enemies, as we saw in the first three verses. We didn't read them, but we referred to the victory that is just won over their enemies. When they commit themselves to to the things of God, when they commit themselves to obey the Lord, then God's on their side. The devil always tries to discourage you because of the way to get you to do one and only one thing, and that is to speak against God. To speak against God but it would be to speak against his word. And Christians do it day after day after day after day. They say I don't, things like, I don't know why God put this sickness on me when God's not the author of sickness. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. The Bible tells us that sickness is of the devil and healings of God. The Bible tells us that healing is good. The Bible tells us that God is only good. He can never be bad, which means God can never put sickness on somebody. It says that there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning with God. So that means he can't make one person sick and make one person well. He's either on the side of healing or he's on the side of sickness. And Jesus was on the side of healing to show us the character and the nature of God. Healing is always of God. Sickness is always of the devil. So when church people, Christians, wherever they might be, when Christians say that God is making them sick to teach them something, they're speaking against God. They're creating their own problem just like Israel did. That's why it's so important for us to watch our words. Folks, this illustration did it for me years and years and years ago. If Jesus was to appear in a vision, an open vision for everybody to see, No question that he's here. Everybody sees him. Everybody hears him. And says, looks around the room, looks into each one of our faces, and says to us, from this moment forward, whatever you say is what I will do. What would you do? Most people say, I can't believe it. Some people would probably say, Well, when Jesus appeared, that scared me to death. 
Folks, do you realize if every word counted as to what you had from God, you'd count every word? That's exactly what the Bible says we should do. The Bible says every idle word that we speak, we'll have to answer for. The word idle means fruitless or worthless. You'll have to answer for every one. These people, unsaved though they were, all they had was the law of Moses and hadn't had that for long. They knew what the problem was. They knew that their calamity, the snakes coming into the camp, which, by the way, you need to realize, the Bible says that God led them through the wilderness where there were fiery serpents. And this is the only time that we see a record of the serpents ever coming into the camp. Let me ask you this. Who kept them out for all those 40 years? God did. The hand of God did. God never said, now I'm going to take you through the wilderness, but don't worry, I'm going to get rid of all the snakes. I'll make sure all the snakes die before you ever show up. No, God protected them in the midst of the snakes until they spoke against God and caused their own problem. So what's going to be their answer? Well, they go to Moses, God's representative, and they said, we've sinned against God and we've sinned against you. Now pray for us that God will heal us. Pray for us that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. So what did God tell Moses to do? Remember, this is the type that Jesus said was representative of him. He said, this is like me, just like Moses lifted me up on, a, on uh, just like Moses lifted up the serpent of brass in the wilderness. The son of man has going to have to be lifted up on the cross. Here's what the Old Testament type of the cross looks like. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 8. Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, now Moses is going to take two things because the people need two, two remedies. The people need to be forgiven of their sin. That gets rid of the snakes. And then they need to be healed of their snake bites. It's a double work here. So we're going to need two separate, issues, two separate instruments. One that represents the cross because that's where the forgiveness of sins is. And then we're going to need something special, something extra, something that, that won't be attached to the cross but will we'll carry over for the people of Israel for this one specific situation at this one specific time. Did he say that? No, he said the same thing that represents the cross represents the cure for forgiveness of sins, represents the cure for sin, and the cure for sickness. The cross is the double cure. So what did he tell Moses to do? He said, make a serpent of brass. I thought Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Why didn't he say make something that looks like a lamb and put it on the pole? Because on the cross, Jesus was not the lamb of God. On the cross, Jesus was made sin. And the serpent represents sin. He took upon himself the nature of spiritual death, which is typified or illustrated by the serpent. The universal symbol of sin. And that serpent represents not only spiritual death, the price for, for, uh, for sin, 
But it also represents the price for sickness and disease. And notice what what the Lord told Moses. He said that just building the serpent and sticking it somewhere is not enough. He said when the man beholds or looks upon it, he'll live. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. I want you to think this through. I think very seldom do we ever think these things through and realize these were real-life situations. We read them like they're fairy tales, and so we try to fill in the blanks according to our imagination. But think about this. Does forgiveness come before the cross or after the cross? It comes after. Therefore, that means that when the cross or the, the pole... In the Old Testament, the type of the cross that represents Jesus, the serpent of brass on the pole is erected. The snakes are still in the camp. So what does a man have to do to look upon the serpent of brass? He's got to look away from the circumstances at his feet. He's got to look away from the physical circumstances all around him. And that's what it means when he looks upon it, he'll be healed. Remember what Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus? He said there's two realms. There's a seen realm or a physical realm. And there's an unseen realm which is a spiritual realm. He said just as it's necessary for you to be born into this world. Born physically. To have access into this world. This physical realm. You've got to be born of the spirit to have access to the spiritual realm. What is the spiritual realm? It's everything that Jesus paid for with his sacrifice on the cross. Which Jesus said was typified by forgiveness of sins and healing for the physical body. Remember, that's what Jesus said was a type of him. This is not me saying that it corresponds to him. It's Jesus saying the the serpent of brass in the wilderness that Moses lifted up is the same type for the son of man being lifted up on the cross. So what do they have to do? They've got to look away from this physical circumstance. They've got to look away from the pain of the snake bite, the advance of the poison in their system, what they see, what they feel. I'm not sure what kind of snakes they were, but if they were rattlesnakes, they've got to look away from the sound of the rattle at their feet. They've got to look away from everything that they see. They've got to look away from everything that they feel naturally. Everything that their five physical senses registers for them, they've got to look away from that to something that represents their forgiveness and their healing, which is the serpent of brass on the pole. Folks, that's the principle of faith. That's the principle of faith. You've got to look away from your five physical senses. You've got to look away from what you see. You've got to look away from what you feel to what the Bible says is true, what the Bible says Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. It's the same for you as it is for them. When they beheld or when they looked upon the serpent of brass on the pole, they were healed. Let me read it to you again. Starting with verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, notice it belongs to everybody. If a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now Moses couldn't make everybody look. 
he could not make everybody keep their, their focus on the pole, the serpent of brass on the pole. It's possible, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about it, but it's very possible that there were groups of people that were standing there. Some would look away and see where the, if there were snakes around their feet and others would look and stare at the, the serpent on the, of brass on the pole intently like they were supposed to. One might receive, the one that looked would receive and the other that looked away wouldn't. Because the looking is very specific. It means to gaze intently. It doesn't mean to glance at. And I think that's what a lot of Christians do. They glance at the cross. They glance at the cross enough to realize that forgiveness of sins is there. But they never look intently at the word of God to see what Jesus did for us to take advantage of everything that was done. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? That's the real question. What are you looking at? Well, Pastor Mike, I'm believing for my healing. Well, what are you looking at? Well, I went to the doctor the other day. He said things are getting worse. Okay. Is that what you're looking at? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Let me show you an impossible situation that somebody overcame by looking at the right things. Romans chapter 4 tells us the story of Abraham who is the father of faith, meaning he's the example of what we should do when we believe God. He's the example of how to believe God, how to operate in faith. Verse 17, we'll start there. It says, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. In other words, this is what God said to Abraham long before he ever had children. He said, I have made thee the father of many nations. If you look at the Bible and study it, you'll find that the Bible says that you're already things that you can't see yourself to be physically, naturally. In other words, the Bible says that you are in the unseen realm what may not yet appear in the physical realm. It says that by, by his stripes you were healed, for example. Well, you may be looking in the physical realm and your physical eyes, your natural sight sees your body sick. Yet the Bible says... You were healed by the stripes of Jesus. A lot of people get tripped up by that. And they say, well, how can the Bible be true when I can see and feel that I'm not well, that I'm still sick? Well, it goes back to what Jesus was talking about. There are two realms. There's a seen realm and an unseen realm. The seen realm is the physical realm. It has nothing to do, no bearing whatsoever on the unseen realm. The question is, which one are you going to look at? Which one are you going to look at? Now, you know as well as I do that when Moses lifted that serpent of brass in the wilderness, there is no inherent power over snake bites for some looking at some brass object. If that were the case, we'd cure all snake bites by just having brass medallions or something like that in hospitals. Isn't that right? It wasn't a physical result or a physical application of the serpent of brass on the pole that did the job. What did the job was that the people chose to obey what God said to do, and what he said to do was to look away physically, to look away from the circumstances, whether at your feet or in your body, to what Jesus told Moses was the cure. And Jesus told Nicodemus and therefore told us, that that represents him. So can we say it this way? Would we be changing the scripture any to say it this way? The Bible says 
that the Lord told Moses that when the people looked upon Jesus, they'd receive their healing. If the serpent of brass represents Jesus, isn't it the same thing? Now, they, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they knew that's what they were looking at. None of us would know that's what they were looking at until Jesus said, this represents me. This represents me. Now, if that's true, and I submit to you it is, if that's true, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means if looking at Jesus into the old covenant brought forgiveness of sins and healing for the physical body, then it would have to bring forgiveness of sins and healing for the physical body under the new covenant. Or else the Bible's a lie. So God said to Moses, or said to Abraham, I have made thee the father of many nations before him whom he believed. Moses, or, I'm sorry, I've got Moses on the brain now. Abraham, before God, believed in what God told him. That God had made him the father of many nations. What that means is he believed God's word before it was a physical reality. Even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Folks, you need to understand here's what God does. He makes dead things alive and he calls things as if they're already done. He calls you healed before you look healed physically. He calls you healed before the physical circumstances of your body line up with it. Yeah, but the doctor says there's no chance for me to be healed. That shouldn't be a problem. God makes dead things live. Those are the two characteristics it tells us about God. God makes dead things live. That would take care of any impossible situation, wouldn't it? Now, the devil will tell you it's too late. Oh, it's too late for you. Too far gone. Maybe you'd caught this early. But, man, this is stage four. Not a problem. God makes dead things live. And he calls things as if they're already done. In the unseen realm, in the kingdom of God, that would be where God operates, isn't it? In the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, God speaks of things already done that do not appear to be done to our natural eye or to our physical senses. So Abraham believed God who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they are. Who against hope, that just means physically, naturally, with his natural eye and his physical circumstances or his physical senses, he had nothing to hope in. He's too, too old to have a child and so is Sarah. Their bodies don't function that way anymore. They're as dead to having children as they could possibly be and still be breathing. Who against hope, without natural hope in other words, believed in hope. Now, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. But where did he get the hope to believe in? According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now, remember where we started. Jesus is saying there's two realms. There's a physical realm and there's a spiritual realm. There's a seen realm, seen to the natural eye, and an unseen realm, seen only with the eye of faith. Now, of those two realms, the word of God covers one of them. It covers the spiritual realm, the unseen realm. The word of God governs the unseen realm. Abraham believed what God said in spite of the physical circumstances or the physical realities of his body. 
And he got his hope from what God said, not from what he saw with his natural eye, not what he could feel with his five physical senses. He got his hope from what God said. And being not weak in faith, now verse 19 is the key. And being not weak in faith. Folks, please understand that being weak or being strong in faith is a choice. It's not that some people have more faith than the others. Because faith comes for all of us the same way. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've already seen that Abraham got his hope from what God said. So he had faith based on God's word. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. He considered not his own body now dead. He considered not his own body now dead. What does that mean? Does that mean he denied the circumstances in his flesh? Does that mean he denied the physical realities in his body? No, it means he didn't choose to look at them. He didn't let his circumstances, he didn't let what his physical eyes could see or his physical body could feel, he didn't let those circumstances change what he believed about what God said. What did God say? I've made you the father of nations. Yeah, but the devil's screaming in his ear every day. Maybe every waking moment. You're too old to have kids. Yeah, but God said he's made me the father of nations. Yeah, but you're too old. Your body doesn't work like that anymore. And Sarah's doesn't either. But God said he's made me the father of nations. He said that my seed would be like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. I believe God. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, neither neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, let me read this to you from another translation. I'm sorry, I should have pulled this up before. Give me just a second. Let me read this to you from, I think it's the American Standard Version. Uh, yeah, there it is. The American Standard Version. Yet, looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, verse 19 tells us what he didn't look at. He didn't look at his body. Well, then what did he look at? Verse 20 tells us he looked at the promise of God. He looked at the promise of God. Now, what is he doing? 400 years before Moses or even longer than that, hundreds of years before Moses. Have to figure it up and see how long it was. But hundreds of years before Moses ever put a brass serpent on a pole, he's looking at Jesus who is the word made flesh. He's looking at Jesus which is the promise of God. He's looking at Jesus and the impossible took place. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not. That's how you keep from wavering, folks. That's how you keep from operating in unbelief. You keep looking at the promise of God. Yeah, but what about what the doctor says? Well, the doctor's giving you all the information he knows, but he's operating in the physical realm. And the unseen realm can change the physical realm. The Bible says everything about this physical realm is temporal. That means subject to change. Bible says everything that you can see and feel with, uh, or contact with your five physical senses, everything about this physical realm will one day burn up and melt. But the word of God will last forever through eternity. 
That means the unseen realm is more real than the physical realm. Now, the devil will try to convince you of just the opposite. The devil will try to tell you that what you can see and what you feel is the thing that you should govern your life by. But if God told us the truth, and thank God he did, everything about this physical realm can be changed by the unseen realm and by that which governs the unseen realm, which is the word of God. Everything. But Pastor Mike, aren't there some exceptions? Not if Jesus told us the truth. Everything can be changed. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus said nothing shall be impossible to you because you believe. Everything about this physical realm can be changed and altered by faith in the word of God. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded, verse 21, and being fully persuaded. How do you get fully persuaded? You keep looking at God get God's promise. You refuse to look away from God's promise. You keep saying what God said. You keep agreeing with God. You keep taking side with God's word. The more and more you do that, the more convinced you'll become of that which the word says, even above what you can see and feel with your physical body. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. You know, that's what it really comes down to. It comes down to that one issue. Can God do what he said that he'd do? The Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the world. What does that mean? That means the work on the cross, whatever it entailed, was for everybody. Well, what did Jesus say it entailed? Jesus said it entailed forgiveness of sin and healing for the physical body. He said that's the type of him. And then told us the great John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did he give his only begotten son? Well, according to Jesus, for forgiveness of sin and for healing for the physical body. That whosoever should believeth on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is more sure and more true than any physical circumstances that we face. We thank you, Father, that the truth of God's word is a stronger foundation than the foundations of the greatest mountains on the face of the earth. Thank you, Father, that by faith, by looking at your promise, refusing to look away from the truth of the word of God, we can receive healing for our physical bodies. We look unto you, Jesus. We look unto the word that tells us what you accomplished on our behalf through your sacrifice on the cross. We refuse to look away, and therefore we agree with you. We agree with the word of God and declare we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what we can see with the physical eye, no matter what we feel with our physical bodies, we declare that we are healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now the Bible says if we'll hold fast to that, the devil doesn't have enough power to keep it from being real in our bodies. It's already real in the spirit realm, in the unseen realm. But by holding fast to it, we can make it a reality in our physical bodies too. And the devil doesn't have enough power to stop it. 
comes down to what are we going to do? Are we going to be weak in faith? Well, what does weak faith do? Weak faith considers its body. Weak faith looks at the circumstances. Weak faith looks at the physical realities and says, well, I guess that's it. That's not what Abraham did. The faith we're supposed to follow is the faith that looks only to the promise of God. Looks only to the promise of God. Yet looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief. You can do the same thing, folks. You can be just as strong in faith as Abraham was. Just by choosing to fix your gaze on the truth of God's word. What are you looking at? Look under God's word. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Now say this. I believe God's word is true. No matter what I see with my physical eye or feel with my physical body. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I am healed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I am healed. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.